What's going on and welcome to the Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside my co-host Jim Eikenhofer of Pelicans.com. What a win for the Pelicans last night over the Bulls, 126-109, to nine games to go. And we're at the beginning of a very huge weekend for the Pelicans, a back-to-back starting with the San Antonio Spurs tomorrow afternoon at 4 and then the Los Angeles Lakers on Sunday at 6 p.m. We'll get to Mike Trudell from the Lakers in just a little bit, but our first guest today is part of our first game of the weekend that's the Spurs and the radio voice of the San Antonio Spurs Bill Shoning joins us on this Friday Bill good to talk to you how are you very good to be with you I'm so sorry we're not traveling this year because I always miss my trips to New Orleans you know a lot of fun over there and uh, I've got my spots like everybody does when they go to New Orleans but that's one of the difficult things uh, we're one of the broadcast teams that aren't traveling this year so hopefully fingers crossed that next year we'll be able to get to uh, the Big E's and get other great places around the NBA Absolutely. We certainly miss you being here in the Crescent City. Let's talk about uh, the impact of tomorrow's game uh, for both sides here with the Spurs. Two games back of the Pelicans. For the Pelicans, there's nine games to go. And after what happened last weekend in San Antonio, I'm assuming the Spurs are going to look for a little bit of revenge tomorrow afternoon, would you say? Well, I think that they were kind of, uh, I don't want to use the word embarrassed, but it was one of the worst performances of the year. I, I had never seen a Spurs team this year play like that. They just were completely out of sync. They only scored 10 points in the first quarter. It was 35-10 at the end of one. So uh, they set season lows in a lot of different departments offensively in that ball game. They had a bad taste in their mouth. So I'm sure they're uh, hoping to come out and play much, much better on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it's hard to get a read on the Spurs a little bit. They're five and five in their last 10. They've had some really impressive wins. They've had some losses that make you scratch your head. But with a team like this, they made the trade, uh, trading away Derek White to Boston. But Todd and I actually have a nickname for them called the Pop Roaches because they just won't go away. And I feel like any team with Greg Popovich, they're going to give a chance. What, what is it about this team? I, I really can't get a read on them. But when you think that, oh, maybe this is the year that they maybe are not competing for a playing spot, here they are. Uh, with a chance to get in with less than 10 games to go. Well, I think it's typical of a young team, right, Daniel? You, you look at the uh, the fact that the Spurs are really kind of uh, young and uh, they're up and down, and but they do have some good players. They do some very good things. They lead the league in assists, for instance. They average over 28 assists per game. They move the ball extremely well. They don't always hit their open shots. They did the other night. They had 19 threes in their win the other night. So I think that uh, they've got this um, – Uh, raw energy and and they play hard and they're good guys, uh, but they just don't have experience. Their most experienced player, one of them is DeJounte Murray, who has been consistent and has played at an all-star level. He's just trying to bring everybody up with him. uh, And uh, I think they've got a very bright future. You mentioned the fact that they made some deals at the trade deadline. They've got three first round picks next year. uh, And they've got a a young kid that's still growing named Josh Primo, who's only 19. Uh, He's going to get better and better, but he's a guy that they project to be a good player down the line, not necessarily Uh, right now but he's getting some good experience right now he's getting better uh and that's basically where they are right now they're a young team trying to improve trying to find traction uh but as you mentioned five and five over the last 10 they've been up and down uh but that's what you get sometimes with the you know players that don't have a great deal of experience i know jim wants to get to josh primo but i have one more question for you before i let it go to jim um you mentioned dejounte murray and what we've seen from him this year has been incredible the talent an all-star uh for the Spurs this year, where have you seen the growth from him to make that leap that he has this year for San Antonio? 
I think consistency, you know, and also the fact that some of the older players left, it kind of put a lot on him. You know, we're talking about guys like Patty Mills and Rudy Gay and LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, all players that, you know, have a great deal of experience. Uh, And when those guys left, it it pretty much put the burden of uh, leadership on DeJounte Murray. He's accepted that uh, role. He really has. He brings guys together. Uh, I think he's got a bright future. He's only 26, 25, 26. Uh, He's been in the league six years. He missed a year because of a knee injury. So um, I think that he's the guy they're kind of building around with all these different pieces with these young guys. Uh, and uh, I think the future's bright. And I think that DeJounte is a big part of that. Bill, I think one of the big questions in general that people have had about the West play-in race is what's the mindset of certain teams in terms of how much of a priority it is to actually get into the playing tournament. I feel like it's very clear with the Pelicans that that is a huge priority. They went into the season saying we want to make the playoffs. So that's pretty um, obvious. I feel like Portland has really kind of made it clear lately that they are prior to prioritizing development and of their young guys over getting into the playing tournament. But from the Spurs perspective, what's been the discussion there in terms of the, the balance between how important it is to get in the playing tournament and to, to develop all the younger players that they have? Well, they definitely want to get in. Uh, they're they're going to play hard. They're going to play to win. They're going to try to play uh, play to win every game. But at the same time, you mentioned development. They are developing their young guys. They're getting experience. They want guys like Primo and these other young guys to get this uh, taste in their mouth. Uh, and, uh, you know, the more you play, and especially if you get a chance to play in the postseason, even if it's a couple of play-in games or one play-in game, it's still a, a higher level, right? I mean, the intensity level is definitely going to go up once you make sure. it. So uh, I think that the older guys understand that. There's not too many older guys on this team, uh, but the, the young guys are really striving. So they're playing hard. They're trying to win. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're trying to get in. So uh, I think that's the mindset. But at the same time, they realize that they're doing it with young guys and that, uh, you know, development is part of that. You mentioned uh, Josh Primo. I wanted to ask about him. Uh, he's actually been a, a was a college teammate of Herb Jones at Alabama. Coincidentally, um, it seems like there's been different stages of the season for the Spurs where they've started to. There's been certain players where they've said, "Okay, this guy's going to play more. He's going to have a bigger role." Was there anything specific behind the decision to put him in the starting lineup over the last few games and kind of elevate his role in the rotation? Well, I think one of the things they want to do, especially they've had some injuries, too, with Lonnie Walker's been out. Doug McDermott is out for the rest of the year. So that gives an opportunity uh, to a guy like Josh Primo. Uh, and, and they want, you know, they let him go in the G League for a while, you know, to get his experience and get some games there because he wasn't going to be in the rotation right away to start the season. Uh, but now that the situation is that they've got some injuries, and they kind of need him a little bit. Uh, why not throw him into the fire and see what happens? And uh, he's a young guy that uh, doesn't get uh, phased by a lot. I think that... Uh, uh, he's mature beyond his years. Uh, you visit with him. He's a real smart guy, real sharp guy. A typical pop draft pick. You know, pop likes these guys that are very cerebral, and Josh is that. Uh, but he's young. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I think that, you know, he's got uh, a great deal of athleticism. He's working his outside shot. But all young players got things they got to work on. They're not a finished product. And uh, you know that from working with the Pelicans. You got a lot of good young prospects there. So I think the fact that, um, you know, Primo is part of the rotation now is good for him and good for the Spurs. And as we talked about in the previous question, uh, good for the development of him and for the Spurs going forward. Bill, when it comes to tomorrow night's game between these two teams, obviously tiebreaker implications will be a big factor here. Spurs can clinch a tiebreaker with a win. Pelicans, I believe, will get it based on division record if they split the season series. But what's it going to take? What's it going to come down to for both teams tomorrow night in one of the biggest games of the season for both teams? Well, I think physicality on defense is something that pops. 
quicker start to the game. Sometimes they haven't uh, really started very sharply. So uh, he would like a full 48 minutes. Nobody's going to play great for 48 minutes, uh, but certainly consistency is something that's been lacking uh, on this team. Not only game to game, but quarter to quarter. Uh, you just don't know what you're going to get sometimes. So uh, he wants to see more consistency uh, at both ends of the floor, but especially the physicality, rebounding, defense, uh, those types of things. You know, sometimes shots fall, sometimes they don't. Uh, but uh, they, they did shoot the ball extremely well in their last ball game against Portland, uh, but Portland was undermanned. It's really kind of hard to judge, uh, you know, but they did the things that they needed to do in that game, uh, and they blew Portland out, so that was a good sign. So I think they've got some confidence going into this ball game, and they still have that bad taste uh, from last week against the Pelicans. You mentioned that bad taste. I kind of, what, what, from, what can you take away from that last game that is the biggest improvement they need for tomorrow night against New Orleans? You know, what kind of did not work? I know a lot of things didn't work in that game for San Antonio, but what were the biggest things that kind of stuck out to you as far as what they can correct in order to be in that ball game tomorrow night? A better start, more physicality, every aspect of the game, really. They just didn't play very well that day, and they realized that. And uh, I'm sure that their head coach let them know that. In fact, uh, he exited early, too, So, <laughs> if you recall. Uh, yes. But uh, I, I think that, um, you know, this still is a team that's got a chance, uh, but they realize fully the importance of this game because, you know, you fall behind three games now and you're running out of games and uh, it makes it very difficult. Then you're watching scoreboards and you need some help along the line. Uh, they can still, if they win this ball game, kind of work into their own destiny kind of thing, even though they'll still trail. Uh, but uh, uh, the decision will be a little bit easier for them at the end. Once it's rendered, if they can win this ball game, uh, the path will be a little bit easier. I introduced you. I apologize. And I mentioned author when I was mentioning Bill Shoney, because that's what Bill is right now. Stories, sports and songs, tales and tunes by a play by play lifer is available now. Bill, what in the heck made you write a book? <laughs> COVID. <laughs> uh, I, I've been doing this a long time. Right. So uh, my 43rd year of doing play by play, 21st year with the Spurs. Uh, and I thought, well, once once I hang things up, maybe I'll just sit down and write a book. I've always liked writing. Uh, I write songs. Uh, that's part of the reason why the title is Story, Sports, and Songs. I've written close to 30 songs and gone in the studio and recorded, I think, 25 of them by now. Uh, and uh, so I enjoy all types of music. Uh, but when COVID hit, I was a play-by-play -play guy who had no games to call. I had a backup plan to do college baseball for Texas State and San Marcos, uh, but they canceled the college baseball season as well. So uh, I was a play-by-play -play guy that needed something to do. So I sat in front of the computer. It took me about a year. Uh, I wrote some songs, mostly wrote stories about my life. Uh, and it's not a true autobiography instead of just like one continuous story. It's a bunch of stories that happened to me in my life. How many stories are on your life on the road, I'm sure? How, how would you be able to kind of condense all those years, 43 years in play, I play. How do you condense that in the one book? It's very difficult, but um, I just try to pick some humorous things, some things that touched my heart. Um, a lot of things about travel, obviously. A lot of things about basketball. Uh, but also life lessons as well. I'm involved in a prison ministry, for instance, and uh, I'm a singer. So I've gone in and I've uh, sung in a band for a couple of prison ministries. And I'm talking about maximum security, four days with guys doing 25 to life. You know, it's not the county jail for a guy that's got a DUI. These these are serious criminals. So, uh, you know, going in there and talking to them and singing for them and trying to bring a little sunshine to a very dark place, a maximum security prison in Texas. All right, so how can folks find your book? I'm on Amazon, so I know you can get it there on Kindle or on paperback. How can folks get the book? I think Amazon's the best way right now, uh, and uh, it's only $15. It's not real expensive, uh, but uh, I guarantee you'll have a few laughs 
you know, there's a few funny stories. You know, you work in small market radio, Daniel. I was in small market radio for 10 years. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of different things that happen in the small markets that don't happen in the major markets uh, because you don't have the technical problems, the travel issues, you know, all the different things that go on with trying to get uh, on the air in uh, La Mesa, Texas, for instance. <laughs> so, so there's humorous stories uh, throughout uh, about my radio journey. I know all about that. That's for sure. That's Bill Shoning. Stories, sports, and songs, tales and tunes by a play-by-play life are again available on Amazon. You mentioned $15 for paperback, just $9 on Kindle. Of course, he does it all. He sings, and he's also part of the Spurs Radio Network calling the games for San Antonio. Bill, I appreciate the time. Uh, I would say best of luck tomorrow, but I'd be <laughs> lying to you. It's going to be a fun one inside the Smoothie King Center. Wish you were there, uh, but have a great call tomorrow night. Hey, thanks very much. A frozen daiquiri on this game, okay, Daniel? Spurs win, you owe me a frozen daiquiri uh, in New Orleans next year. All right, and if the Pelicans win, I get the book. How about that? <laughs> okay, <laughs> deal. <laughs> All right, sounds good. That's Bill Shoning on the Pelicans podcast presented by CT. All right, good stuff there from Bill Shoning, radio voice of the San Antonio Spurs. Now we turn our attention to Sunday's matchup against the Los Angeles Lakers. Lakers at 31-42. and 42. Joining us now is Mike Trudell who covers the Lakers for the Los Angeles Lakers and also sideline reporter on the Lakers television broadcast. Mike, good to talk to you again. How are you? What's happening, guys? Always good to see you. What's going yeah. on? You yeah, too, you know, big game between these two teams on Sunday. We'll get to that in a little bit, but kind of just wanted to talk about what's the vibe around the Lakers right now. I know they've it's been a struggle for them post-All-Star break. I know schedule has a lot to do with that. The Anthony Davis injury has a lot to do with that as well. Kind of what, what's the vibe around the team right now as they – try to hang on for, for a playoff spot. Well, it's better now than it was a couple of weeks ago. And I think that you touched on the AD injury and that was the second AD injury. The first one, I think took the wind out of their sails earlier in the season. Then they started to play a little bit better. And then Davis came back and they beat Brooklyn in Brooklyn. And it looked like it was going to be okay. Now's the time to jump up the standings. And then Davis, well, so before Davis got hurt again, then LeBron uh, got hurt and LeBron's knee started to, he was starting to experience some soreness. So he missed the next several games. I think it was four or five. Then right when LeBron got back, AD went down for the second time. So that's, that's been the biggest story of the season for the Lakers. No question about it. I mean, AD has now played 37 games. LeBron has played 54. And as you guys have seen recently, I know Ingram being out and McCollum missed a couple of games. It's tough to win in this league when, your two best players aren't on the court that much and the rest of the roster has its own issues, but that's been the biggest thing. So let me, I, I need an update from you guys. What is the latest with one Brandon Ingram? Uh, my, one of my favorite players that I covered on the Lakers. What is the expectation as to when he might be able to return from that hamstring? Yeah. So he did not play last night against the bulls as we were taping this on the Friday. Um, but uh, his, I guess his availability for the weekend is still a little unclear. He's participating a little bit in practice, not going through everything. So um, I think it's just going to depend how he feels. Having this extra game off, not playing against the Bulls on Thursday certainly helps, um, but we'll see what the the status is for him. I, I would, you know, if I'm going to take a guess, I'm assuming he'd like to play against his former team on Sunday. Um, but with a back-to-back, it's going to be interesting to see which one he does play in or if he plays in both or just one of the two. So, um, that will be the biggest thing. And I guess I'll flip it to you just for a second before I go to Jim. Uh, Anthony Davis's timeline. I know he's starting to get back out there and shooting. Um, I'm not sure about his chances of playing against the Pelicans on Sunday, but these two teams will play again next week in Los Angeles. When do you think Anthony Davis might return to the Lakers? 
Yeah, don't know. Honestly, that's the that's the real answer. February 16th was when he got injured, and they said that he was going to be reevaluated in four weeks. And so I think we're at or just after the four-week mark. But as you guys know, you know, reevaluation doesn't necessarily mean return. And they and they honestly they look at him every day, right? They look at him every day, they see how he's progressing. So I know that he hasn't done, you know, team practice stuff yet, at least as at the time of this recording. But there hasn't been anything in terms of a target date or a return date. So it would probably be a surprise if he returned over the weekend, but we shall see. Mike, speaking of former Pellies, and I use that term kind of half-jokingly because I feel like for some reason your TV play-by-play guy loves to say the word Pellies, and he's one of the people around the league that uses it the most. But is that right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that for some reason he really likes is it's Bill McDonald. He, he really likes to use the word Pellies when he talks about New Orleans. But anyways, um, you have two guys on the roster that have really had that were former New Orleans players that really were here pretty briefly in terms of when Gabriel was here for a season and Stanley Johnson was here for really just a partial season um, that I think have really surprised everybody by how prominent their roles have been this year. Um, with the Lakers, how how important do you think those guys have been in terms of the the team and over the last stretch of games or even the last couple months of what they've been able to provide? Yeah, well, Jamin shows me you're paying attention if you know that those two guys have been pretty key lately and the surprise that that would be for people that don't watch the Lakers a lot, just given the names on the roster. But this is what the Lakers needed, right? They needed some athleticism. They needed some length. They needed some youth. And, you know, for a team that's relying upon LeBron James as much as they are with Anthony Davis out and the rest of the front court just not being very long or athletic. And that includes, you know, look, Dwight Howard, who's been putting in some good shifts here and there, but he's way at the tail end of his career and doesn't have that same pop, doesn't have that same movement in his legs. And the Lakers don't really have other big wings aside from LeBron and AD. And it's difficult to ask those two guys who do so much else to also do all of the little things, to also do all of the things that your wing athletes typically would do. So that's allowed Johnson and Gabriel to come right in and to make an impact. And it's a, in that sense, it's a different Laker team, even from the one that played the Pelicans in that blowout a couple of weeks ago when, you know, neither really played a prominent role and you were seeing just a lot more kind of small guards and, that's just not been a formula that's worked well for the Lakers this year. So I expect that we'll continue to see more Johnson and more Gabriel. And then once Davis returns, you know, he'll, everybody's minutes will lower some and that will slot everybody more appropriately. And the the Lakers will have better chances to win games, of course. But in the meantime, they really do need that athleticism specifically and the length as well. Well, you know, Mike, I have been paying close attention to the Lakers this year. I mean, for obvious multiple reasons, but also because of the standings of how close they are right now in the nine, 10 race. Also Lakers broadcasts are the only, the exclusive source of Mike Trudell sideline reporting. So of course I'm going to pay attention for that as oh. well. <laughs> oh, why? I mean, look, Jim, it's so kind. You and I go way back to the we do. We the do. com. you know, what 2006, yep. uh, I for think sure. was probably the first time we did a, we did a interview, which was probably in print if I recall at the time. <laughs> yeah. Although I yeah. did have a podcast that I would, I would record on speakerphone and just hold you know the actual audio recorder next to it and so the audio quality was just absolute trash thank you for anybody that was actually listening to those back in the day but hey we we did our best (laughs) yes we go back quite a a ways I think when I started uh 
NBA team sites weren't even necessarily a, a very prevalent thing. Like people didn't even necessarily know that teams had them. So we've come a long way, but we could go down memory lane for a long time, but instead I'm going to go back to uh, talking about the Lakers. Um, the last nine games of the season here, you know, obviously LeBron set out the game uh, Wednesday night. Um, how do you think he's going to handle the Lakers and he him are going to handle these last couple weeks of the season? Do you think he'll play in every game? Do you think they're going to kind of monitor the situation as far as how he's used? Yeah, I don't know if it'll be every game, but I would say it'll certainly be most games. And if you think about it, I think there's one back-to-back left. Yeah, there's one back-to-back, and it's April 7th and 8th at Golden State, home against OKC. And, you know, we'll probably – look, after these two games against the Pelicans, right, after – at this point, literally every game, given how close they are in the standings, right, we'll know a lot better. But I do do think that he's been able to play in some back-to-backs. In fact, he just played in one at Toronto, at Washington – and played really well in both. So he knows how to handle this. And I believe that, you know, look, his knee's going to be sore, but if it's a game that the Lakers really need to win, I would be surprised if he's not on the floor. And of course that makes them a a different team. So the availability portion, right, is going to be key for both of these teams, right? Both the Lakers and the Pelicans. And if Ingram plays on Sunday, that you would think would make a big difference. Like if he doesn't, that should make a big difference. You know, what I wonder is how much for for the Pelicans and this could be for either of you guys, but how much are you feeling like home court does matter? And as I pull up the home road record, right? So it's what, so it's 20. So it's 16 and 20 at home, 14 and 22 on the road, which is pretty similar. You know, you would think for most teams, like the Lakers home record is 20 and 18. Their road record is 11 and 24. And so it's been more important it's been more significant for the Lakers, but what do you guys think is behind that for the Pelicans? For me, I think it's very true that if you look even recently over the last couple of months, the Pelicans haven't necessarily been better at home than on the road. Um, I think in some ways they've been better on the road, but there's also some caveats to that, including that some of the stretches where they had, they had a six game homestand right before the all-star break and they were trying to incorporate CJ McCollum into the mix during that time. They've also had other stretches of home games where they've had guys out with injuries, but then on the road, they came back. So it's a little hard to compare, but for me personally, I think it is a priority to finish ninth Um, for, for one. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons, but for one, I think if you're the 10 seed and you have to go, you're going to have to go on the road for that first play in game. If you win that, you're going to have to go out on the road again. If you win that, you're going to have to start the playoffs on the road, obviously, I mean, you can cut into the the ask big time by finishing ninth and just being at least being able to have that one game at home, whether or not it's a huge advantage in terms of winning or losing. Um, you can debate that, but I do think that the Pelicans at full strength um, or close to full strength, they they would feel more confident about being able to win at home and that they have built up a little bit of a home court advantage, especially compared to early in the season. But like I said, there's been some mitigating factors recently that have made the results not look like they have a home court advantage or that they're a better team at home. But I think realistically, you would go into a playing game a lot more confident that you can win if you have it on your home court than on, on the road. Yeah, and I think another thing you have to look at is kind of how this weekend goes for New Orleans, because obviously the goal is to get in, at, you know, no matter what. And you're, you could tend to potentially be three up with eight to go 
after Saturday against San Antonio and then eventually hold the tiebreaker. So if you feel like you're starting to creep away from then, then maybe the focus shifts on, all right, catching the Lakers. But, you know, if you lose against the Spurs and you're only a game out or potentially tied, you're focused on keeping the Spurs away and just trying to get in. Of course, winning every game would help that instance, but I don't think the, the pressure as much is on trying to get to ninth and passing the Lakers is more of you want to get into this playing game, especially how you started the season one and 12 and three and 16. So I, I think this weekend will play a huge role in the figuring out where kind of the eye of the prize is, whether it is just get in or after Sunday, if you have a really successful weekend, be a game up on the Lakers, could be three or four up on the Spurs, and then with seven games to go, um, it's a little easier looking down the road thinking if you just play 500, you could be in, you could have the best of both worlds and getting in and being ninth. So um, it, it's interesting to see how this weekend will kind of be a turning point, I would say, for both teams. Well, it's funny, too, because you you can ask, and as we do, right, the three of us are always mm-hmm. asking coaches and players questions, and they're absolutely right when they say, well, all we can control is the game in front of us, and that leaves it to dorks like us who can look at the standings and think, mm-hmm. all right, well, yeah, but, and, and I, the, so the ideal scenario for the Lakers, right. Is, is at this point as the ideal scenario has just kind of tapered off and tapered off and tapered off as the injuries have mounted. But right now the ideal one is to find, is to find a way to hold off new Orleans and or San Antonio for that nine seed, get that home game. And then, you know, hope that the Clippers who likely will be in the eight lose their playing game. And then the Lakers may not have, wouldn't have in that scenario, wouldn't have to travel at all. But yeah. if I were to put that scenario to Frank Vogel, he'd be like, hold on, like, uh, I'm just going to worry about Sunday's game in New Orleans, right? And then after that, I'm going to worry about the next game after that. So both things can be true. We can sort of game out how mm-hmm. the rest of the season is going to go, but that will change. And, and here's one reason why Sunday's game is even bigger for the Pelicans, because since, since the Pelicans won the previous matchup, that would give them the tiebreaker, right? So because the, the Lakers and Pelicans, they only play three yep. times this year. And mm-hmm. so the Pelicans... Or wait, it would be yeah. The Lakers only going to New Orleans once this year, yep. right? And so, with that said, the Lakers would have to win both of these games to get the tiebreaker, and that could end up being significant given how close they are in the standings at the moment. Absolutely. And so, before I let you go here, when we're talking about LeBron James and even Anthony Davis, how do the Lakers find the balance of making sure those two are healthy for a potential playoff push, but also, like you said, if LeBron will play in a potential big game if needed, how do you balance out trying to make sure those two guys are healthy or don't rush Anthony Davis back but at the same time, you got to get in and you would love to be that nine seed and host a playing game instead of being on the road. Yeah. I think that LeBron James is not somebody that you worry about. You know, it's, he's, there's nobody that's more on top of what's going on with his own situation. And you just, you kind of get to take for granted that he's going to figure out the way to maximize and optimize, you know, what he's going to get out of that knee this year. Davis is more of a question mark. We just don't know at this point when his return date is going to be. It's not a super common injury that he had in the midfoot sprain, as opposed to an ankle sprain when you kind of think, all right, by the time you get to, you know, week four, week six, and it's somewhere in that mix, right. Where they say four, but then, you know, you can, Davis himself has said before, yeah, four to six is kind of the initial diagnosis they give that they give there but six would be the end of march right and so another week essentially from when we're talking could be that time that that ad is able to return and the thing about him though and and as you guys know some from being in new orleans like he can have some he'll have some injury some minor injury and he'll be out for a little bit but his body is also pretty good at recovering and getting back and so there is some some athletic fluidity there 
And so once he's on the floor, then I think that worry stops. This does, for example, this isn't a hamstring strain. And as, as you guys know, big Brandon Ingram fan and hope that that thing gets better, but you always worry about a hamstring or a groin. Once guys step back up into reactivity, um, a tissue issue, injury like that, as opposed to something, you know, like a sprain uh, that, that it could just be pain tolerance. So We'll see, man. I wish that we knew better about what AD's injury situation was. I'm sure the Pelicans wish they knew a little better about Ingram, let alone Zion. You know, I, right. I know that's a whole other thing to open uh, that I'd be curious about. We can maybe get to that another time, though, because you know, as we know, Zion won't be playing in these two matchups, right? No, he, he definitely won't. Um, last thing real quick, kind of keys to Sunday. What, what You know, I know how much you really, really take away from the other matchup. You can take away some. You can take away – I mean, both teams will look – significantly different I would think potentially on, on Sunday what are you looking at as far as both teams as far as how did they get out of there with a win at least from the Lakers side what has to be done yeah I think the, the Lakers are just I think they're they should be at least somewhat happy to to be out of that initial rut that they were in where you just weren't sure what the energy level and what the effort level was going to be and we saw that again in the Pelicans game where where it just was over pretty quickly and I think that that will be different, at least from, from that standpoint, from that point of view. You know, so the, I think the question is more with Valencia Eunice, right? What do they do? Do they, do they go back to just trying to steal some minutes from Dwight at the beginning of each half? Or do they try and, and just go small and say, yeah, Jonas is going to do some work inside, but we're going to make him go out in the perimeter and guard some and, and have to face up, have, have LeBron switch him over, right? Or have Stanley Johnson call him out and try to pull him out of the paint and then attack that way. And, you know, how do you deal with the whole Jackson Hayes, the, the large, the extra large front court. So the Pelicans are a pretty unique team, I think, to match up with in this context. And they know how to play against McCollum for sure. Uh, they've certainly done that over the years, but the personnel that they have to deal with McCollum is not as good as it used to be when they had Caruso and they had KCP and they had these guys that knew how to, to chase and to follow and to trap and, and so on. So um, I still think it's a tough matchup. And that all, again, will change if Ingram is able to play and then everything slots a little bit differently. So uh, I'm, I'm sure from the Pelicans' point of view, it's a little bit more LeBron-centric as to what that scouting report's going to be. And if he is at the five, then there isn't a great way to defend that, to those lineups, LeBron at the five. It's more like, hey, can, can you take advantage at the other end? So um, I'd be curious for your guys' take on what New Orleans focuses on there. Yeah, it should be an interesting one between these two teams and a fun one. I know Pelicans fans in the city of New Orleans looking forward to seeing the Lakers in town. Looking forward to seeing you as well, Mike. We appreciate the time. Mike covers the team for the Lakers, and of course, we'll be on the sidelines for the game on Sundays. Pelicans take on the Lakers for the uh, second time. It'll be two times in a, in a week or so, so it should be a fun one inside the Smoothie King Center. Mike, I appreciate the time. We'll see you on Sunday. All right, guys. Sounds good. So two great guests today, Bill Shoning of the San Antonio Spurs, Mike Trudell of the Los Angeles Lakers. Again, get your butts in the Smoothie King Center this weekend. Playoff-like atmosphere last night in the win over the Chicago Bulls. You can really hear the crowd, especially with all the big plays the Pelicans made. And Pelicans, they, these guys are going to need you again. Four o'clock on Saturday, an afternoon game. There's a media Q&A. Starting at 1.30, I have to get a separate ticket for that one, but that's from 1.30 to 2. You can meet a legend like Jamaican and Offer up there. And then Antonio Daniels and Joel Myers will have a Q&A with some fans as well from 2 to 3, tip-off at 4. So a nice mid-afternoon game. Still have the whole night ahead of you celebrating a Pelicans win over the Spurs. And then they'll get you ready, get some sleep and some rest, and get ready to scream 
for the Los Angeles Lakers on Sunday inside the Smoothie King Center. First off, Jim, let's just get right to the point here. I don't think you even know where I'm going with this, but today is our 10-year Facebook anniversary. I oh, got wow. alerted that this morning. Mm. So one of the fact that I put up with you for 10 years is certainly a milestone in itself, but um, I just wanted to wish you a happy Facebook anniversary and the, the roses and chocolates should arrive at around noon today. Just wanted to let you know. Well, congratulations on making it 10 years with me as a Facebook friend. I feel like that is a very significant milestone, very, maybe even more significant than like a, your wedding anniversary. I better not say that because I, I get Christy mad at me. But, no, uh, I mean, the Facebook anniversary, I remember my wedding anniversary, I don't. So yeah, <laughs> you're exactly right. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I get full credit for 10 years because I've almost abandoned Facebook the last few years, but what the heck, I'll take it. So that's, that's great to hear. I think that's the beauty of it. That's why I appreciate you being a, being a friend. I don't have to see you on Twitter, on Facebook right. all the time. Easier to, so. It's easier to handle when I'm not there. I'm easy, so easy to get along with when you don't see me. One less person to worry about, that's for sure. But Jim, <laughs> let's talk about last night against the Chicago Bulls. We talked about it on the postgame show, 126 to 109. Looked a little rough in that first quarter as the Bulls were, were firing on all cylinders. More importantly, uh, Zach Levine, um, who kind of was tempered a little bit in that second half. but the defense started the plug away on the deficit in quarters two through four, and the offense really stepped up. But that was a fun one last night. What stuck out to you about the win? It was. I mean, every I feel like everyone was tweeting about this. You and I and m- numerous media people that were there. We're starting to see more and more local media people consistently show up at the games, and they're tweeting about how great it was and how, how the atmosphere was in the arena. I mean, it was really fun. It felt like a almost like a playoff game. I'm not ready to say that it was at that level, but hopefully this weekend, that's what we'll see. We'll see playoff atmosphere with the significance of the game. And obviously there's a decent amount of animosity towards Sunday's guest that's coming into the uh, arena. That's how I'll put it. That team from Los Angeles. Yes. That that team from Southern California, I think is how TNT referred to them. They were just utterly disgusted by one of their recent performances, but anyways, getting back to the game against the bulls. um, I feel like a lot of times after the game, there's questions about, you know, substitution patterns and defensive strategy. But one of the biggest ones last night was will Devonte Graham keep his hair the same way that he had it in the game after he had 30 points. So, I mean, that was one of the, for somebody who wasn't at the game, if they asked me, you know, what happened, that would have been at the top of my list of, of positive occurrences that Devonte was five for seven from three point range at 30. He came out great in the first quarter. He got, got off to an awesome start and, um, I mean, when he plays really well, when he shoots the ball really well and scores like that, the Pelicans have been really good this season. They've had a couple, one of their wins against the Bucks was one of his best games of the season. And they also had a win against the Timberwolves. Actually, the only win against the New Orleans had against both of those teams. Devontae had a, had a real big game of 20 plus points. So that was a great sign. And hopefully he can carry that over into uh, the weekend. I mean, the man had just two points back in his, his return to Charlotte and then responds with a new hairdo and 30 points against the Bulls. So he definitely stood out. And you're still doing this without Brandon Ingram, who you hopefully get back over the weekend. We'll probably learn a little bit more today. Um, depends on when you're taking in this podcast, as the Pelicans will practice this afternoon in preparation for this weekend. Let's talk about this weekend just a little bit. I think by now everyone knows the importance of this weekend. And I feel like this is not everyone, and it's not a bad thing, but I think a lot of people are, are looking forward to Sunday a little bit more than Saturday, I think just because of the team from Los Angeles, just because of the fact that you are in ninth now. 
But we talked about it last night in the postgame show. You got to stay in 10th before you can start worrying about nine. And the Spurs are not going anywhere. Um, they've had a, a huge win over Portland. They still play Portland twice. And I feel like Portland at some point here, and they're getting close to it, uh, being eliminated and kind of trickling off. So two games against the Portland Trailblazers for the Spurs is huge. But it comes down to tomorrow night first with a big matchup against the Spurs with a tiebreaker scenario. And I just want you to briefly explain to the listeners how the tiebreaker works. I know it's pretty simple. Sure. If the Spurs win, they win the season series, but it gets a little more complicated if the Pelicans win and split the season series. So how does the tiebreaker scenario work uh, with the Pelicans win? Right. Very simply put that you just said Spurs win, Spurs win the tiebreaker. That's easy. The Pelicans, the way I've been explaining it lately is that the phrase I've used is the Pelicans virtually seal the tiebreaker if they win Saturday over the Spurs because it would deadlock the season series at 2-2. The second tiebreaker is division record. If the Pelicans win Saturday, which we have to assume in this scenario that we're dealing with, they the worst they could finish in the division is 7-9 and nine because they would be 7-8 and eight by winning Saturday. They only have one game left at Memphis in the division. So – but if the if the Spurs and combine that with the Spurs losing, the Spurs losing would drop them to four and nine in the division. So the best they could finish in the division is seven and nine. So basically, the best there could be a tie in division record in that second tie-breaking step at the end of the season. But for that to happen, the Pelicans would have to lose to Memphis, and the Spurs would have to win every other division game that they have remaining. They still have one game against Memphis left. They still have one game against Dallas left. So obviously, I'm using the phrase. It would the Pelicans would would virtually clinch the tiebreaker because they they won't actually have clinched it. But I mean, it, it would take a lot for them to not have the tiebreaker if they win Saturday based on the math that I just laid out. I hope you memorize that because you're going to have to explain to us after hopefully the Pelicans win tomorrow night what that means again. Uh, but yes, I, I definitely understand. So basically it puts them in the driver's seat to win the tiebreaker over right. the Spurs based on division record. And yes, that's a big deal. Uh, for the Pelicans that they want to get in, especially this is between uh, nine and 10. Who knows if the Lakers continue to struggle and the Spurs play well, maybe after tomorrow night, then you never know. It could be come down to nine and 10 for Pelican, the Spurs. It, again, a lot of scenarios here with nine games to go. And one quick thing to add, if you think about it too, in these terms, if the Pelicans win Saturday, they're three games ahead of the Spurs and there's only eight games left for both teams after Saturday. So you're three games up and you, virtually have the tiebreakers you're almost four games up with eight left that would make the the task for their san antonio very daunting over the last two weeks of the season to be able to make up that much ground in that short amount of time yeah it puts a lot of pressure on the spurs i feel like it doesn't mean the pelicans will relax because they shouldn't but it, it does relieve a little bit of like man you gotta feel like you have to win every single game they want to but a loss here and there can maybe still you can figure out a way to get in and so it's going to be interesting with the Lakers and the Spurs over the weekend and a four game West coast trip, two of them against the Lakers and the Clippers. You have Portland on there. The Kings are kind of on the brink of elimination. So it's still a chance on this road trip, even though it's a long four game, seven day road trip to grab some wins before you come home for a game. And then it's a tough back-to-back with Memphis and Golden State. But again, we don't know what those two situations will be. Curry's going to be out for the regular season. John Morant now out two weeks for the Grizzlies. They still win without him. So really can't even say, Oh, what's going to happen with the Grizzlies without John Moran yeah. because they put up 133 points uh, the other night and they beat the Brooklyn Nets as well without John Moran. So Jim, I'm pumped for this weekend. I know you are too. We've had some playoff pushes few and far between, but I don't know if we've had a stretch of games like we were having this weekend as far as playoff implications in both 
in our own backyard. Yeah, big time. I'm I'm really excited for this weekend. I think when you factor in everything, like you mentioned, there's only been two playoff teams in the last 10 years. And of the eight years that they didn't make the playoffs, the time the instances where they were really in it going into the last week of the season were also very rare. So we haven't had this like dramatic pressurized basketball in late March, early April, very much in the time that you and I have both been here. And then you add in that they're playing two, the literally the two teams that are most important to the Pelican status in the standings, both in the Smoothie King Center. I mean, this is one of the best, I hate to overhype it too much, but this is definitely one of the best um, home weekends that the team has ever probably had in, in team history in terms of just the significance of the game. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, like you said. And tons of stuff happening inside the Smoothie King Center. A baby crawl race at halftime on Saturday, Sunday. It's block out the Lakers. If you wear Pelicans gear, it's simple. Wear Pelicans gear, you get uh, discounts on concessions, beer, food, whatever, and also some thunder sticks courtesy of Prime Block. So you definitely don't want to miss that. And also before we let you go, of course, we can't forget about the tornadoes a few days ago. The Saints, the Pelicans, WDSU, and Second Harvest Food Bank have teamed up for a donation drive that's happening today. So whenever you're listening to this, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., in an effort to support the ongoing response to March 22nd tornadoes in St. Bernard Parish, the Lower Ninth Ward, and the Greater New Orleans area, Second Harvest Food Bank will provide several large donation bins placed outside the Oxford Sports Performance Center, 5800 Airline Drive. The biggest supplies they need, cleaning and cleanup supplies, gloves, tarps, contractor trash bags, rakes, shovels, protective eyewear, and non-perishable food items. Again, all day today, Whenever you're taking this podcast, if you have some time, stop by, make a donation. They certainly need it after those devastating tornadoes a few games ago. Hope to see everyone at the Smoothie King Center over the weekend. Stop by and say hello tomorrow during the media Q&A. Jim and I will be up there as well for at least a little bit. And then a uh, big game tomorrow. Spurs, 4 o'clock on Saturday. Lakers at 6 o'clock on Sunday. And then we'll have a recap for you on Monday during the show. Hey, thanks to Bill Shoning, Mike Trudell, and for Jim. Until Monday, we'll see you at the Smoothie King Center. I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelican Podcast presented by CE.